This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michelle. My name is Michelle. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Hi. Thank you for asking me to be here. I'm grateful to be here. I had a baby six months ago and haven't been to a meeting in a long time. So I was really, um, I still am nervous to be here. But um, as I was driving over, I started filling up with this excitement to come to a meeting. (laughs) And, you know, I was always one of those people that liked to go to meetings. And I never thought I would be a person that, would want to go to a meeting and sit in a room, and but I am, and that's pretty cool. Let's see. What it was like, what happened, what it's like now. I have 12 years of abstinence from binging and purging. Started the program in 97 in Dallas, Texas. I walked into a room in Dallas, Texas, kind of like this. I was on the second floor. I was running late. I was way out of breath by the time I got up the flight of steps. And I had to stop outside the door and catch my breath. I weighed almost 200 pounds, and I was out of my mind. I was crazy. And I'm not kidding when I, you know, I'm not using that word lightly. I was pretty certifiable. I was clinically depressed. I was uh, smoking almost a pack of cigarettes a day. I would drive down the road and... um, and think about ways to run my car off the road because I didn't want to be on the planet anymore. And thank God, thank you, God, I found this program because it saved me. It saved me and it gave me a life. You know, it says beyond our wildest dreams, and that's my my truth. So kind of back up from there just a little bit and talk about how I actually walked in the rooms. I think for me, I was born with this disease. I always seemed to have some kind of different relationship with food than other people I knew. I think that I for sure had an obsession of the mind, an allergy of the body, and um, what I found here was a spiritual solution for that. And I looked for solutions in many, many places before I found this one that worked for me. I have memories from when I was a little girl of hoarding food, stealing food, hiding food, eating food, and feeling really bad about eating. You know, like I like I said, I think that I just kind of came out into the world that way. And the disease is progressive. My disease definitely progressed over the years. And I think I'm actually fortunate that it got really bad really fast, and I was able to come into this program pretty young and find some help. It got to a place where 
all I did was think about food. And I'm so far from that place today that I have trouble remembering what that was like, which is bizarre because it was my reality for so many, so many, so many years. It was just all I could think about. And I felt like I was kind of this rat trapped in a cage, you know, in my head, constantly worrying about how I was going to get the food and then how I was going to get the food out of my body and then how I was going to get more food and then how I was going to get that food out of my body. And what did my body look like? And what does your body look like? And, you know, just constant, constant chatter in my head. It was, I was... Yeah, it, uh, it it kind of got to a place where I um, wasn't pleasant to be around. I that's putting it mildly. Um, I uh, I was a bitch. Um, I kind of had pushed everybody away from me by the time I rolled into program, and didn't you know I didn't have people that wanted to be my friend because. I was atrocious to be around. So, you know, I was very lonely, and I think at the bottom of it all, throughout the years of overeating, overeating, eating, 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 throwing up, taking diet pills, hurting myself, taking drugs, you know, all the stuff that I did to try to control this food thing, I was just scared. You know, I was just, I was terrified to to be in the world because somehow I didn't have the tools to be like other people walking down the street and seemingly doing okay walking down the street. So I coped in very unhealthy ways, and food was my drug of choice. It it makes me so sad to think about how much I hurt myself, all the things that I did to my body and that that I did to the people around me. Um, it was it's just a painful existence and I feel like maybe I don't have to go on and on about that because if you're here you probably have some kind of idea of what that's like because you're here <laughs> and we don't really walk through the doors unless we're you know my my sponsor would say you know I'm on uh, what does she say I forget um, <laughs> you know uh, something about a wall being on fire my back's against the wall and um, you probably know what I'm talking about it had to get really bad for me to get in here and um I love to remember the weekend leading up to me coming into OA because now it's really funny. Back then it was not, but um, it, you know, it. it <laughs> I had this dream as a child, and I pursued it throughout my life. And the, the dream and kind of being in this world definitely, I think, triggered my disease. So they kind of fed each other. By the time. I got to college. I was not able to keep the weight off with my binging, with my diet pills, with all the different things I was doing because I was consuming so much fat and so many calories. A lot of food. (laughs) I can put away some food. And so I had basically been kicked out of school from, you know, the scholarship that I had I had received to uh, do this thing that I loved. And it had turned to I hated it because I couldn't be with myself. I was, you know, failing. I had been put on probation from the program. And, um, you know, and I had mentioned some of the other things, that, you know, how my life was sort of deteriorating around me. I was... <laughs> uh, um, I was in a wedding 
that weekend, the weekend before I came into program. Mm. So I have feelings. This this room is, these rooms are very safe for me, and feelings come up when I come in these rooms. And um, the wedding, um, mm, for my friend Kristen, who uh, is one of my best friends in the world, and she actually is going through a really hard time right now, and um, that's kind of what a lot of my last few months have been about. She's pregnant, and she's going to have her baby in a week, and we found out a few months ago that she has cancer. And so she's been going through surgeries and radiation, and um, half of her face is paralyzed now. And it's just been this ongoing... um, this ongoing nightmare. What that means to me is that, you know, today I live life on life's terms. Thinking about her wedding, you know, back then, 12 years ago, and then, you know, just kind of remembering today. This was supposed to be a funny story. <laughs> okay, so, um, anyway, I'll, I'll jump back to the present. Let me finish up the past for a minute here. Um, so I was in her wedding, and she had asked me months before to tell her my size so that I could have, you know, the dress measurements for being a bridesmaid, and I lied about my size because I thought I would for sure lose the weight by the time the wedding rolled around, and I gained weight by the time the wedding rolled around because every single time I tried to control my food, it got worse. So I didn't try on the dress the night before the wedding. It didn't fit. Obviously, there there was there was nowhere to go to get it fixed. So I like cut the dress and sewed material in it to try to fix it myself. And I am no seamstress, so um, the dress whatever it was just uh, it was a disaster. And so I was feeling really out of control about that. And um, I had lashed out at my boyfriend because he was doing something that I didn't think he should be doing because I knew what everyone should be doing, right? And he, like, stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, I cannot do this anymore. You're crazy. And he walked away. He was the only one that was sticking with me. Everybody else had sort of fallen to the wayside, and he was all I had. Like, that was it. I stood there, and I felt all the blood kind of drain out of my body, it was a moment I will never forget because it was a life-changing moment for me. Um, the next day I went to teach this class and no one showed up to the class because, you know, I was such a great teacher at the time. You know, everyone wanted to be there. And and, um, and then I had to go to the wedding and wear the dress that I had altered myself. And um, my eyes are puffy. My face is swollen. I didn't remember this until I was in program for a couple of years, but at the wedding, I pulled my chair up to the buffet table to be closer to the pasta bar, and people walked around my chair as they went through the line. And I and I actually and I had someone join me because I thought that that was a good idea, you know. And I was out of my mind, and so I ate my way through the wedding. And then the next day, I went to see the spiritual healer, and um, he read all these like higher consciousness cards, and he said all these wonderful wise things we did all this meditation and there was like an hour two hours of that and then after all that was over and crying and you know he looked at me and he said sweetie I think you need to go to OA and um, (laughs) so I did 
And I, it was either that night or the next day I went to my first meeting, you know. And thank God for all, the way it all sort of unfolded, um, and I got my, my butt here. When I came to the program, I just thought I needed to stop throwing up. I didn't realize that there was this whole other thing of compulsive overeating going on, and I didn't realize that for a while. I was reading through uh, the 12 and 12 of OA earlier today, and this popped out at me, and I love this book, and it says, often we caused ourselves problems because we didn't realize that there were some kinds of eating we sometimes we could handle comfortably and sometimes we couldn't. Many OAs have been able to identify certain eating behaviors or foods which tend to lead us into compulsive eating. Acceptance of these facts about ourselves gives us hope. For we know that by simply eliminating these eating behaviors and foods from our lives, we will experience fewer struggles with our disease. In a way, however, there's no list of foods or measurements or do's or don'ts which defines abstinence. We are individuals with our own individual nutritional needs, and we found that what is a healthy choice for some of us might be lethal for others. People who come to OA are sometimes confused by the lack of dietary regulations. If OA doesn't give us any rules to follow, they ask, how are we to find the guidance we must have to avoid compulsive eating? The decision we have made in step three answers this important question. We have found that when we give up self-will regarding food and completely turn our lives over to our higher power, we receive all kinds of guidance. That last line about turning our will over to our higher power and giving up the self-will around food to receive guidance is exactly what happened for me. By the time I got my butt in here, I was so done trying to do it myself. I was on my knees and desperate, desperate, desperate for help. And I would have done anything that y'all told me to do. I would have done any, and I did. And some of the suggestions were not so good, by the way. Um, there's a reason they tell you to get a sponsor. So basically, I, I just, I kept coming back to meetings and I heard hope. I heard light. There's a guy that used to be around here in L.A., haven't seen him in a long time, and he would say, you know, let us love you until you can love yourself. That was so true for me because I hated myself for a long time even after I came in here. Somehow, though, I, I let people in these rooms put their arms around me and help me and take care of me, and they took me grocery shopping. They showed me what kind of foods to buy. They told me when to sleep. They told me when to make phone calls. They told me when to get up. They told me, you know, when to breathe, basically. And I needed very, very, very clear guidance. Slowly, after relying on the group, I started to have an experience of a higher power that I call God. And that is the thing to me that has brought healing and sanity and so much joy into my life. I would have little miracles happen to me every day. I would wake up in the morning, and and I was so desperate for some kind of sign. You know, please show me I'm on the right track here. Please, if I'm not going to eat, you know, a ginormous bowl of cereal this morning, then give me a reason, God. Come on, you know, help me out here. And and so it was this constant dialogue with this higher power. And every day, little miracles would happen to show me that I wasn't alone. And I'd run into a program person, you know, or I'd get the call, or um, I'd hear a song on the radio that reminded me to breathe, or, you know, just any number of things that kept me plugged into the program. And so this dependence on food, 
turned into a reliance on a higher power. I think that is the most important thing in my life today. Somehow, over the years of working this program, the obsession has been lifted. It doesn't exist for me anymore for today. I know that could change tomorrow. I know I'm kind of a lifer. I, I got that when I came in here and I heard people talking and I related to the people that said, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm here. And my program today certainly doesn't look like what it was when I walked in here. It has morphed and is extremely different. When I first came in here, I needed a tremendous amount of structure, guidance, and I had a list from my sponsor of what to do pretty much every hour of the day and what foods to eat, basically how to do everything because I needed to relearn how to live. I didn't know how to live without the food. I didn't know how to live without acting out. So that structure of working the steps, of calling a minimum of three people every day, of going to a mi- I went to a meeting every day, but it was a minimum of three meetings a week. Talking to my sponsor every morning, we had an 8 a.m. phone call, checking in with her, and every single moment just sort of regulating what was going on in my head and were these thoughts supporting me or were they working against me. And then I would have something that the program offered to deal with the negativity that came up. I can't say enough about how the steps changed my life. They're amazing. <laughs> they, are, they are just so, so amazing. The order, you know, doing them in the sequence that's aligned and starting at the beginning, going all the way through, it, um, it for me, brought about changes that I can't even imagine. You know, it says in order for our food to change or the addiction to shift, there has to be a personality change. And working the steps allowed my personality to completely change. And I don't think I became a different person. I I feel like I just was able to sort of um, have the fear lifted so that the person that's always been here can be out in the world and feel safe to be out in the world. Um, That's are awesome and fourth step in particular was a doozy for me I remember sitting there reading my fourth step to my sponsor that I, my first sponsor that I had in Dallas and I realized <laughs> I, I had this realization that um, I don't even know how to explain it at this time at that point in my life I was blaming everybody else for everything. I had no sense of personal responsibility. And I had this moment when I turned over my fourth step of realizing that I was responsible for my life. And that's a pretty, you know, basic thing that most people, I guess, learn growing up. And I didn't get that somehow. And so it changed me to be able to take part in my own journey in that way with a sense of responsibility and accountability. The eighth and the ninth step were really difficult. It was hard for me to um, look at the people that I'd harmed, and it was it was really challenging to um, sort of step up to the things that I had done. You know, as a bulimic, I was extremely secretive and sneaky, and, you know, I was a liar and stole things you know, from people that had no clue and some of them that, that, that did. And so making amends, um, I didn't think I'd get through it. 
And I remember looking at that step when I first came in program, and I thought, I'm out of here. I can't do that. No way. And, and they said, just start at number one, and by the time that one rolls around, you know, it, it'll be okay. So it was. And each amends that I made kind of brought a gift into my life. It didn't always happen right away, but then, you know, sometimes years later something would happen and it was a direct result of me being honest. Getting honest in here, that's what this room is about, you know, getting honest. For me, being vulnerable and um, really getting down to what the deepest, deepest, darkest part of me is about and then being able to share that has, I think, given me the freedom that I have today. Um, you know, when I started program, I had a list of foods that was about this long that I couldn't eat because it triggered me to binge and then purge. And and now I eat all foods in moderation. I never would have imagined that that would be possible. So today, being honest about my food, and, you know, like I said earlier, I had a baby six months ago, and we had a family thing um, two weekends ago and they were videotaping and I saw the video on a big screen and I saw myself on the video and went, wow, wait on there. I have no perception of my body. I was told early on, it's not my business. I had to do a tremendous amount of self-talk to realize that I was not this physical form and that I was much more than this physical form that I had put so much emphasis on my whole life. I am not my body. I am a beautiful child of God was a mantra that I said probably about 8,000 times a day. And I actually got to a place where I believed that. Fast forward six months after having a baby, looking at the video going, ooh, <laughs> you know. And they say nine months to put it on, nine months to take it off. It's really ten months and plus, by the way. Reminded me about how important it is for me to be honest. My job that I did before getting pregnant, I was teaching like five dance and yoga classes a day sometimes. So I was extremely active. I can't eat the same foods now, sitting on my butt feeding a baby, that I was eating when I was that active. It's just, it doesn't add up. Having this commitment to come here and also I think, you know, getting to see the video really helped me to um, come back into reality a little bit about where I am. Not to judge it. God knows I can't change it. Every time, you know, I try to make an adjustment on my food, it goes in the opposite direction I would like it to. You know, so it was about picking up the phone and calling my sponsor and just sort of defining some bottom lines and getting back to basics for what works for me. The moment I picked up my phone and called my sponsor, it shifted, and I suddenly have less of a desire to put more food on my plate. And I don't know how that works. That's the miracle of this program. That's the miracle that I experienced when I worked this program. And somehow for 10 years, working this program really, really vigorously shifted where the program is just integrated into my being at this point, and the program works me. I don't think about sitting down and doing a 10th step and where did I, you know, go, you know, cause some harm today or, you know, what my – it's just a part of how I live now. What a miracle. You know, they say that the program is a blueprint for life, and this program was more than that for me. You know, this program gave me a life and is the foundation on which everything else comes from.
So before I came over here, pulling out my book, I used to carry around photographs that when I would speak at meetings, I'd pass them around, and there are pictures of when I weighed, you know, 200 pounds and pictures of when I weighed 99 pounds, and, and I carried them around with me forever, and one day I just didn't, and I hadn't looked at them in a long time. And I was looking at the pictures of the 200-pound girl in there, and I, I thought, is that what I look like now? And I know I don't weigh 200 pounds now. I'm far from it. But I don't have any perception of my body. It's crazy and baffling to me. But I really, I thought, well, I don't want to take those pictures because they're going to look at me and think she hasn't changed at all, you know. And, and that, that this is just my insanity. This is the insanity of the disease. You know, thank God I have a place to come and talk about it and just, you know, shed a little light. My grand sponsor is famous for saying, you know, any problem, hold it up to the light of the 12 steps and the solution will appear. I have never, ever, ever been failed by that. Let's see, kind of brought it back to the present. Life is so different today. This program, I've gone through pretty much everything that life has thrown and throws to us all. Uh, my mom getting cancer, my mom surviving cancer, starting a business, having a flourishing business, losing it all from the state budget crisis in this past year. Um, having a boyfriend that turned into a husband that I thought looked completely like one thing and then one day I found out he's got his own issue that was never ever in a million years something that I thought was part of our life and it turned out it was and now he's in a 12-step program he has a sponsor and um you know it's just mind-blowing to me all the things that I've walked through abstinently because I couldn't walk out the door without eating before. I could not say a sentence without then going and throwing up before. It wasn't possible. And all of these things, my higher power has just carried me through. And I have a baby. I have a little baby, and she's amazing. Um, I have a baby. That's just crazy. I can't, you know, if you would have said to me three years ago, I, I, this guy that I married, I've been with for 15 years and we've been married for like almost 10 years. And, um, about four years ago, we, you know, hit this major massive bump in the road. And if you would have told me then that we would be together today and have a child and be living this blissful life, I would have said you're on crack. And that's just, that just shows me that I have no business ever judging anything. So it kind of brings me back to my friend who's going through this situation right now that's horrific. And I'm reminded that she has a higher power. We all do. She's being taken care of, just like we all are. And it's all happening the way it should. You know, there are no mistakes in God's world. There are no mistakes in this world. I truly experience that on a daily basis. I think that um, I just want to stop there and say I'm supremely grateful that you all come to this program, that you're here, that this is here for all of us, that, um, you know, we don't have to do it by ourselves, that there's the an amazing, amazing solution in life out there that we can all be part of. So thank you. Does anyone have a question? We have a few minutes for questions. Yeah. Hi, thank you so much for your pitch. 
what do you do when you go into situations that are frightening for you or difficult? When I go into a situation that's frightening or difficult, today what I try to do is be present for the feelings. Because if I am not present for the feelings, I will have some emotional eating coming up later. And then whatever the fear is, I then can just use a tool of the program to deal with it. The book ending, whatever it is, is a big thing that I like to do. Um, calling my sponsor and just saying, scared to death, sitting outside the door of, you know, whatever I have to go do, and um, don't want to do it, and just getting honest with what's coming up. And then realizing that ultimately I'm so powerless you know, this isn't this isn't about anything that I think it's about. My higher power is in charge and completely turning over. Early on, I, I tried to do a lot of things that were very tangible so that I really, for me, I need to feel something. I need to experience it to have it work. And so I would stand outside of whatever it was and I would open the door and I would visualize, you know, this energy of my higher power going into the place first and, you know, sort of filling the room with light and with love and knowing that, okay, I'm safe, and now I can walk in also. What else? But, you know, the talking about the fear kind of deflates it for me. When I'm speaking at a meeting and I'm nervous, I'm sweating, and I'm shaking, I, um, I, you know, I get to be honest and just say that's my experience. I can't stand flying. I've worked on that issue for God knows how many years now, since I did my first fourth step, I think. <laughs> I feel sorry for the people that sit next to me on the plane, but I start talking to them when I when the fear comes up, and I'll just you know turn to them and I'll say, I'm sorry that I have to do this right now, but would you mind just talking to me for a moment because I'm really scared about this turbulence and I, you know what do you do and get out of myself, you know I try to get out of myself because if I'm in my own head then I'm in my own way and if I can focus on somebody else if I can somehow incorporate service into whatever the situation is then. It, it doesn't have as much power. So, yeah. I took a lot of action. <laughs> um, specifically, I would wake up in the morning before I even believed that there was a higher power out there because I had a really tumultuous relationship with the God of, you know, my childhood. So before I even believed, I acted as if, I acted as if I believed, and I would get on my knees, and I would recite the first three steps and the third step prayer until it meant something to me because that was the direction for my sponsor. After I did that, I got on the phone with my sponsor, and I would turn over my day, and she would say, what do you have, you know, in front of you? What are you walking through? And I would, you know, kind of outline the day. The day before, I would plan out my meals for that day. And so I didn't have anything to question. I had a very clear outline of this was my breakfast, this was my lunch, this was my dinner. And I had three meals a day, a snack if necessary. I basically weighed in, I didn't weigh my food, but I measured anything that you know, had a serving size because my idea of a serving size is not what <laughs> a serving size actually is. Um, I learned that the hard way when my sponsor said, have grape nuts for breakfast. 
And so, you know, I poured myself a bowl like I always would pour, and it was massive. And then I felt it, they expand, apparently, and um, I couldn't walk. And she said, honey, did you look at the serving size? And a cup or something, and she said, no. So anyway, um, I would measure, measure my food. I would make three calls a day. I hated making phone calls. It was so difficult for me to pick up the phone and call a stranger and tell that stranger that I was crazy. Like, it just, it was, the, it was so, it seemed counterintuitive to me. And I was, you know, looking at the phone for a really long time before I could actually pick it up. But I did, and it was always amazing. You know, I always had a good experience after the phone calls. And I was, I had to be of service. I had to have commitments at at least one of my meetings. Eventually, I started sponsoring after I had worked all the steps and was directed to start sponsoring. Boy, that'll get me out of my head real fast, um, talking to another compulsive overeater. Um, what else did I do? Writing. Every night, I did a, a journaling, a tenth step. And I did the, oh, gosh, it's been so long since I've done it. There's an acronym. It, it, it's sort of a way to... A-E-I-O-U, thank you. Uh, kind of just outlining, was I abstinent? I'm not going to go through it because there's no way on the spot right now I'm going to remember what it all stands for. But after the meeting, I'll tell you. Um, so I would, you know, basically review my day. And if I had to make an amends, I would talk to my sponsor and figure out what that looked like. Um, I would pray before and after every single meal. I would just pause for a moment and say, God, please let this be enough food. And then after it was over, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this meal. It was about, in the beginning, for me going to any lengths not to get rid of the food and not to have my head in the toilet. And sometimes that looked like being in the bathtub for an hour and just staying away from the kitchen. Um, it was just going to any lengths and taking direction from mainly my sponsor, but at that, you know, early on, it was from anyone that would talk to me. <laughs> so that's, that's some of the stuff that I did, yeah. Try to repeat it. Um, so early on, I had a list of foods that I didn't eat, trigger foods, and then it shifted to eating all foods in moderation. And how did that shift happen? And the al- okay, what happened to the allergy of the body as a result from eating the food and having the obsession of the mind triggered, right? And the craving triggered. Let's see. I guess. I kind of look at it like the compulsive overeating, the, the food, all that stuff is kind of just a symptom of the disease, which is a dis-ease with me being in the world. And there's like this hole inside of me, and I was trying to fill it with food and all kinds of other things. And early on, when I didn't have, I guess, I don't know, I'm sort of just, I don't know how that shift happened. I remember being in meetings and saying to people, if you ever see me eating frozen yogurt, you come in that store, you grab me, you call the OA police, and you beat me down. Yeah. And 
it doesn't call to me anymore. Somehow, I think the allergy for me shifted when I started wanting to take care of my body. I got really into um, self-care, and I started listening to what my body needed, what kind of food my body needed. I'll wrap it up with this. When I started eating foods that felt really healthy and like they were feeding my soul and not just my body, somehow the the craving to have the other stuff just stopped. And I don't know why some of those foods that I couldn't eat before, I can eat now, and it doesn't trigger it. I, I call it grace. I didn't think that would be my experience. I thought that that list of foods would be my red light foods forever. And... And I can t- talk more to you about it after the meeting because I have to wrap it up now. And it, actually a big part of it was the pregnancy that I just went through. Um, and I'll share that with you. But um, that's my time for now. And uh, thank you. Keep coming back. Thank you.